Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Time for a counterpoint. We got our guests in place. We got Kim Wright, Principal at Wright Strategies. If you need uh, strategic strategic work, PR work, damage control work, any kind of work done, no? Lot that I don't do painting. <laughs> okay. I'm not no yoga, no but right. uh, no, no cooking. But uh, but certainly government relations, uh, municipal, provincial work. I'm uh, I'm here for You're you. Available. All right, and we got Councillor Stephen Holiday, Deputy Mayor and Councillor for Ward Two Etobicoke Center. Great to have you, Stephen. Well, thank you. Good evening to you, and good evening to Kim. Good evening. Good evening. Let's talk a little bit. We've talked a lot about this today, City of Hamilton. I don't know if you've been following the story, but they are now investigating how a Pretty infamous neo-Nazi has been working there for 13 hours. Not just working there. It, it, you know, it, it would be maybe different if it was just a job at City Hall. But this is the IT department, which gives him access to pretty sensitive information. And and I'll ask you, Stephen, on this, because you, you work in a big bureaucracy. Um, how could this have possibly happened? I mean, I think a basic security check on this guy w- would reveal so many red flags, like the fact that he worked for Ernst Zundel. I mean, maybe they would have been flagged. Yeah, well, but you have to dial it back to the mid-2000s. Things were different uh, back then. I don't think they had, you know, as much social media at the time, and I'm not sure this thing uh, came up and was easily flagged. I think governments and any large corporations and banks go through a far more due diligence, a stronger due diligence process when they hire people, and uh, there's a bigger chance for something like this to come up. You know, you can't escape your footprint on the Internet these days, but... Uh, so, you know, rewinding back 15 years, it, I think it really was a different situation. Well, he does have a web page that's still up uh, and still in working order. I mean, you do the Google searches, Kim, and it's all over the place that 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 there are red flags enough to be concerned. And I think there's got to be a few municipalities right now that are going, oh, my God, who do we have on staff? So in certain positions, and I don't think it would matter if he was working somewhere else, but he's working in a, in a position that gives him access to a lot of information. Well, you know, the city of Hamilton, uh, they went into the wee small hours of the morning or late last night going, uh, looking at this issue. What are they going to do? What are they going to do going forward? Obviously, you can't turn back the clock for the last 15 years. But how did this happen? How did he get through the cracks? How did he how did nobody know that this guy was this guy? Uh, That's some questions. And I'm sure that those are questions that are being asked by executive directors of HR in every major uh, organization. I'd be surprised if City of Toronto isn't uh, doing some uh, doing some scans of some of their own employees. Who do we have on staff who might be a neo-Nazi or whatever? It's well, I mean, we could just look at the donors to Faith Goldie. But yeah, you know, or not. <laughs> <laughs> Where it went through the compliance audit process and is now uh, being scrutinized further. So we'll we'll see how that unfolds. But do you believe that, let's say, a neo-Nazi or white supremacist or those on the far left can redeem themselves? Do they deserve a second chance? Well, look, I'm always for redemption. I think if people are truly uh, sorry for what they've done and apologetic and not just the I'm sorry you feel that way sort of way, uh, but actually sorry for these things. 
that's a different thing. I'm not sure what uh, what their HR processes are in place around uh, proper behavior. And, White supremacists? <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the things that he has said online uh, probably breach a few codes of conduct. But I would uh, think working for Ernst Zundel and, and, and being hauled in front of the Human Rights Tribunal for, you know, language, hatefully language used against gays and immigrants, that might raise a red flag. It, it should. It should, you think? No? Yeah, but Alex, for all we know, he's been a model employee and the HR department is sitting there scratching their head saying, you know, what, what could we say to this guy? Yeah. Um, despite your past, we, we don't have a, a mark here on your, uh, on your dossier about your performance here. You know, part of me has to wonder as well if, you know, the feds aren't watching him among many others because of his uh, past activities. And in, and in some ways, he's out there in plain sight rather than being buried underground somewhere where no one knows what he's up to. It's true. And it also raises an issue of employment. Now, maybe uh, I should ask uh, the employment hour, but I don't know how they would get rid of him. I mean, if he has not done anything wrong and the city's going to have to do quite an audit investigation to see if he's been, you know, up to any uh, misdeeds or anything. But it's not like you can't just fire him if he's not done anything wrong. Well, it depends on what he has said. You know, when when your public face uh, can can be used against you in an employment law situation. I'm not an employment lawyer, but it is certainly something that will be looked at by the HR department in the city of Hamilton. What ha- what has been his public statements? What has been his public profile? And is that something that can or should be used against him uh, going forward? But it certainly gives should give pause. Uh, to everyone in municipal governments and governments, uh, governments and large agencies of who are the people we have working for us. Yeah. Well, any large business, for sure, they're going to apply a risk assessment to what they know about him, what information has come forward to what he's working on. And uh, if, if risks are flagged, obviously they're going to have to deal with those. But the interesting thing is, is um, there's a difference between the government and reputational risks to the government. We all understand that. People are looking at saying, this is my, my municipality or that municipality that's hired that person. Imagine another company that is quite brand-specific, mm-hmm. where the situation revolves, where they've got an employee, where they, they've got a you know, tremendous past that runs completely aground against uh, what that organization stands for and is being marketed on is in competition for. And uh, that just changes the situation to a hyper state where then their HR department is really trying to figure out what to do. And it and it also depends on whether or not he's a member of the union or not. That adds a whole other layer into it as well. I'm pretty sure their HR is busy right now, so we'll uh, give them a chance. Um, the fallout of the Norman Affair beginning and uh, will continue now for, I guess, days and months until... We finally get the answers, but is the dribs and drabs of details. And I think what has become very clear is that the RCMP did not do any real kind of full investigation. They didn't question Vice Admiral Norman at all. They didn't even question anybody in the Harper government that approved the shipping deal. Ultimately, it was this new information that forced the Crown to stay the charge that cleared Norman. And it could have been as simple, Stephen, as a chat with Jason Kenney, who kind of signed off on this whole thing, to think that two years went by... And the RCMP nor the Crown asked any of these questions is completely dumbfounding to me. Yeah, this whole situation is really odd. I, I, I really don't understand it because we as the public probably will never see all of the moving pieces. You've got cabinet secrecy. Oh, I bet there's, there's a book in the works. You better believe there is. <laughs> you know, you've got the military in this, right? And a lot of the maneuvers they do aren't necessarily, uh, you know, something simple to come to light. But... You know, the, the whole backstory to this that intrigued me as somebody that has worked in government all, you know, for much of my life is, 
you know, what is that balance between your duty as a public servant with cabinet secrecy and, and all the things that the government decides and then your role as a whistleblower? And, you know, what do you have to at the end of the night, you got to be able to put your head on the pillow and sleep and know that you did the right thing. And uh, Mr. Norman seems to be caught between all of that. And now we've got these other threads coming out of the story about, you know, how the government coalesced all around all this unfolding and yet an election in the middle. Yeah, I think Mr. Norman's sleeping quite well right now, Kim, after uh, yesterday. And I think there's a few other people, uh, you know, military, prime minister's office and uh, many other people that likely aren't sleeping much. Deservedly. Well, and and deservedly so. You know, as we talked about through the bulk of the SNC-Lavalin scandal, it really was such a parallel of pro- the public prosecution's office. Is there been political interference? Same people, same name, same, same language. All of a sudden, you know, Jerry Butts can get copies of his text messages and email trails within five seconds, but Vice Admiral Norman couldn't get any of his documents. His, his lawyers couldn't get any of those documents. There were all sorts of things that, you know, looked like a mushroom cloud going on the horizon. And, and uh, you know, between, and then you had... Code names code hiding names. his name. I mean, they didn't and have you, documents. They didn't take when notes. An, when Andrew Leslie, uh, the, <laughs> the MP, said, uh, I'm testifying, you know, much, much... Not to mention coming up and hugging him outside the... Hugging it out. I mean, it was <laughs> it was as damaging as when Jane Philpott said, no, this, is, this, isn't, uh, this isn't right the way uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is being treated. The parallels of this... Uh, what what ultimately Canadians will end up having to pay for uh, this from his legal bill standpoint and his suffering. I mean, they tried to destroy this man and destroy his career and destroy him personally. And uh, and there's going to be a, a payment extracted for that for sure. Yeah. I wonder how much that Mercedes is worth. Well, look, why should the tax look if this is found that it was within the prime minister's office and there was something nefariously done, uh, Stephen, uh, why should the taxpayers be on the on the on the hook for this? Like, frankly, why? Well, they shouldn't. But uh, I think the bigger thing is if something comes up with the prime minister's office, uh, then then the prime minister needs to go. Well, he did say he did say and and pardon for interrupting. He did say twice outside of Parliament. And this could be an issue for him. He said twice outside of Parliament that this man would be seen in a court and probably charged. He's not protected by parliamentary privilege for those comments. That could be problematic in any. He also said outside of the chamber yesterday uh, that uh, there was no interference from his office, which. Don't think that was quite a great idea for him to say either. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's this storyline of the legislative branch and the judiciary branch intersecting. And it's not the first time we've heard this now. And, uh, you know, those are fundamental things that Canadians really need to pay attention to. And I think a lot of us are, of course, with great concern. And uh, it's when those fundamental things are become the subject of public discussion just like this boy, we've got some interesting politics here and perhaps a change is in the wind for that government. And we have the third head of this Hydra coming up, which is the Huawei uh, executive <laughs> oh, coming forward. So this is three major uh, scandals that have been interference oh, on the... There. I mean, that the public is actually kind of going, wait a minute. There's wait lots a minute, of things, you really are jerks. But, there, but again, there are with, lots of things that happen that the general public doesn't care about, but what they've seen over the last couple of, couple of months has right. been... Things that are like, wait a minute. And the human face of it, which would be Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jane Philpott, and Vice Admiral Mark Norman. This will outrage Canadians if the details to which he says are devastating. They, it will resonate with Canadians, and they will take it personally. And and in the yeah. 
political calculus of needing a land to Canada for vote, mm-hmm. to vote for the Trudeau Liberals uh, for them to get reelected. That's going to become more and more problematic. Big time. Okay, guys, we got to stop there because I've got to go to a commercial. When we come back, we will pick up uh, a, a life sentence. Anything but here on Point on Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head with Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got Kim Wright and Stephen Holiday here on this Counterpoint. Let's get to um, what happened outside a Toronto courtroom today where the sentencing for the neurosurgeon who killed his wife took place. Uh, the doctor had uh, killed his wife, stuffed her in a suitcase, literally threw her away like trash. He got life with eligibility of 14 years, 12, because he's already served two years. Um, Kim, I'll start with you on this. Uh, to me, we're at a point now, and I think I've talked to you a couple of times about yep. this, because I'm increasingly getting more and more irritated when we hear about these life sentences, and we have the laws on the books the judges, the crown, the, they can all use these rules and laws in the books, and they aren't. Instead, we're negotiating. Set. This guy doesn't deserve to be out in 14. He deserves life in jail. Yeah, he had no remorse of this. He very much abused his wife uh, for years. And when she finally filed the papers, he slaughtered her and stuffed her into a suitcase. Those are the those are the undeniable facts. Forgetting the victim impact of the children that are in this or the families or everything else. He was a cold-blooded murderer. And the way I've seen the headlines unfolding of this whole story have been, you know, celebrated neurosurgeon. Yeah. It's like, no, you know what? Cold-blooded Cold, killer yeah. offs wife in a gruesome manner. Yeah. You know, first of all. Second of all, you know, I, I have said frequently on this show and in other places we need to have a rethink of our criminal justice system and in terms of what is eligibility for parole. You know, some of these rules were written and, and contemplated when people had a shorter life expectancy than we have currently. Those things also need to change. We had this whole conversation with uh, the murderers of uh, young Tory Stafford uh, being able to go into some sort of a halfway house-ish sort of thing or what, yeah. what was it? Yeah, a uh, healing, healing lodge. lodge, whatever it was. Not good enough. No, it's not. And, and it's not good enough for Canadians. And I think it is high time we go around and figure this out. Legal, law, politics, uh, humanity. And what does this actually mean? Well, we I'm, did, we I'm did for, have... We I'm ha- for re- rehabilitation, but some people, this is I not am, what we're talking. I am, but not for murders. I mean, sorry, you take a life, you, you go to life, especially if, when it's just this cut and dry. And Stephen, I mean, we do keep hearing about this. We seem to be moving more to a rehabilitation approach justice instead of actual justice. And so you get people like this who are outraged calling for the death penalty, and it's hard to blame them because victims of crime in this country are being shut out of the actual process and what message does this send to victims of domestic violence and and that it's even happening in this day and age is still mind-blowing to me it is you know and in particular in this case you've got a neurosurgeon who is a doctor someone that spent their life you know allegedly trying to help people and 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 make them better and then and then this crime it, it almost ups the ante and maybe that's one of the reasons why people are so angry uh at the sentence I wish they'd stop using the word life sentence because it Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, just as we talked about. And, you know, Kim brought up an important point, and it's one of those things that I'm really sensitive uh, to as a politician is when people have started to lose faith in the government and the judiciary system really as an extension of that, and people are asking those questions, you know, why did you let them off so easy? 
I don't think um, the just, the people involved in the justice systems, judges, you know, I don't think uh, they've done a good enough job to explain to people how they arrive at these conclusions. There's too much deal are. making happening. On, on yeah. like we've heard this before. I mean, Bruce MacArthur, they really had to toy with you know, can we get them concurrent, consecutive? Is it fair? I mean, Elizabeth Wetloff, Welsh, can, she might get out. We'll put her in medium security. I'm sorry, you kill people. It's it's cut and dry for me, especially if you're a serial killer. Well, maybe it's time for a little bit more politics in the the justice system, right? Uh, a lot of a lot of people are there's an appointment process on this, and people stay there for a very long time. Mm. Um, I know in other countries and other jurisdictions, you know, the, the the judges may be elected, or there's there's other processes to bring them in, and you know, maybe this is starting to be some of the early warning signs that we need to reshift things a little bit. Now, I don't mean we need to do justice by an angry mob. You know, let's hang them, let's stone them. Uh, no, but I think, you know, 25 years is 25 years, period. I'm sorry. It, well, this shouldn't be, these people should not have to worry about coming back in 14 years. They really shouldn't. Right. And there's a temperature check here that something is now amiss. And I think, of course, correction is required. Yeah, I mean, this has been going on, and we keep seeing this with justice ministers after justice ministers and not wanting to take well, on Well, no, this. Stephen Harper put in tougher laws, and people were outraged because it wasn't, you know, humane. Well, I'm sorry. This should be an election issue. After the last year of some of the nonsense we've heard, uh, there was a case out of Montreal, and I'm trying to th- uh, remember it now. It's uh, kind of gone out of my head where, oh, it was the um, the murder, the sentencing for the murderer of the, the mosque murder. I mean, they had to neg- the judge didn't feel right about, you know, not giving him all these concurrent and con- uh, consecutive sentences because, you know, he's young. And what are you talking about? He killed six Muslim men at prayer and would have killed many more. I'm sorry. We've got these laws in the books and they're not being used. Out to any gun yeah. crime, any gun crime. Sure. I'm not saying this was a gun crime, but, you know, this was a big discussion at city council. Mm. Everyone wanted to ban guns. Ban. I'll tell you mm. what, thicken the sentences so that people think twice before they stick that gun in their pocket and they know that they're going away for a long time. It makes a difference. Yeah, well, Stephen, there's there's only one Stephen, and the rest of your colleagues don't seem to get that. So you know, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. <laughs> All right, uh, guys, I got to leave it on that note. I wanted to get to abortion, and you've escaped. All right, you got lucky. Uh, but we will. Uh, <laughs> there, we're, wow, we're not there, going there. there are so many things down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm not go. touching. And it's the third rail. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you. I appreciate it. That is Stephen Holiday and Kim Wright joining me tonight here on Point on Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.